Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition European Tour where today I'm very excited to be joined by Nicholas Durban. Welcome Nicholas. Hi. Nicholas, you're joining me from Berlin. Uh, unfortunately, it's not face-to-face as planned. No, unfortunately not. The current situation uh, demands remote work and vit- virtual recording, I guess. All good. I'm sure the value we'll deliver in this podcast will be the same now. So um, thank you for joining me. And we're going to be talking about um, how to start the, the puzzle um, of, exactly. of building. So I'm looking forward to getting in that and hearing some of your experiences as well. Before we get started, though, um, firstly, this is a remote recording, so there may be some issues with sound quality. Apologies for that. It's not quite the same quality that I'd give you face-to-face, but hopefully you enjoy the episode regardless. Now, this episode and every episode in the European Tour is dedicated to raising awareness and support for the bushfire-affected communities and wildlife in Australia. If you enjoy this episode, you can Show your support for three amazing causes. That's the National Bushfire Fund of Australia, the wildlife or the volunteer firefighters. And you can do that by heading to bushfire.productcoalition.com. Now, I was originally visiting five cities across Europe to interview over 50 product leaders. However, most of that will now be remote. And the reason for that was to gain insights, knowledge and experience to share with you, the Product Coalition global community. Now, if you've just discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. We're a community of 500,000 readers, 6,000 Slack members and thousands of podcast members. If you'd like to hear or find out more about the community as a whole, head to platform.productcoalition.com. Now, before we get stuck in, I need to give a huge thanks to some of the brands and individuals that have been major donors to the cause so far. First up is UserPilot. UserPilot is a code-free user onboarding and adoption tool designed especially for product management teams. UserPilot helps to increase conversion, user retention rates and reduce churn by guiding new users to their first aha moment with interactive walkthroughs, contextual product tours and onboarding checklists. It allows product managers to build fully customizable, behavior-triggered in-app experiences with a simple visual editor. You can head to userpilot.com to grab a demo and a free trial. Shobit Chug is a Google product manager and he helps product managers become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of. Go to intentionalproductmanager.com to sign up for Shobit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast. Product-led teams like Mixpanel and Flexport know that the best time to capture engagement is when a user is already inside the product. That's why they use Chameleon to drive feature adoption, build onboarding flows, and gather user feedback. You can give it a go at trychameleon.com forward slash success. I'd also like to thank some individuals, Rich Mironoff, Chris Miles, and Nicholas Durbin, who joins us in this podcast episode. Hi, Nicholas. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm looking forward to to hearing about how to start the puzzle or how you start your puzzles um, particularly. Um, before we do, do you mind giving the audience uh, an intro, Nicholas, into your background? What's been your path into product so far? Yeah, of course. I'm happy to. Um, so I'm, I'm a product manager for about yeah, six years now. And um, I, I went to business school. And, um, you know, in my last semesters, I, I started my first company. Um, and yeah, that's basically how I got into product. My co-founder, um, is a trained journalist, uh, from Australia, by the way. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I was, I was head of everything else, head of business, head of product and yeah, product is the thing I, I like to, the thing that I like to think about most when 
building something new. That's just what my head spins around. So um, yeah, from there, I worked for several early stage startups in Berlin uh, and some companies now for a company builder called Finley. Um, yeah, where the focus often is and was around building new products uh, from scratch. Exactly. Great, great. So I imagine some various different experiences there on building products from scratch. Do you mind talking us through um, s- some of the differences either as a founder or as a, as a product manager? Yeah, of course. So, um, I mean, to completely to be completely honest, um, when, we, when we founded a football collective, uh, what's the name, of the product, of the company, which is a, a network community for independent football bloggers, um, it was just by gut feeling, to be honest. You know, uh, we were probably as much the user and target customer um, as we were the, the founders of that company. So we knew what was needed to, to begin with. Um, that obviously changed tremendously for every other situation. So from a founder perspective early on, you know, often the first product manager is one of the founders, regardless if they know it or not, right? Because they set the requirements. Um, but then Football Collective was then later taken over by um, a football news app, uh, which is called One Football. And I joined there as a product manager. And then it was com- something completely different, obviously, you know, being uh, one of many product managers uh, focusing on one part of the product. Um, you, 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 I, I first had to understand the role for the first time because it was the f- first time I had the title product manager. Um, so just getting in there, like every other person who wants to become a product manager has to start because uh, there's no real education for it. So um, that was very, very interesting for me. Um, and I realized, though, that what was most fun for me is um, building something from scratch, really the, the, the messy beginning um, with all its creative chaos. I just love that phase um, and, and keeping a team together through that phase, guiding a team through that phase. So um, I went to another B2C startup, Tourlane. Um, they sell individual uh, travel experiences um, and help build their agent product. So it's not, it's a B2C business, um, but it was a b 2 be let's say a product because it was for the internal sales agents, which was completely different again. Um, but also awesome to have the users you're building for in house, just allowed for so much uh, higher quality in terms of research. Um, and yeah, again now I'm working for a company builder Finleap. Um, there are some. There's some B2C uh, in the, the Finleap ecosystem, but most of the focus is in B2B. M- most recently, um, I built a product um, for small and, and medium-sized enterprises. Um, so again, a completely different mindset required there. Um, so yeah, um, over the right. last six years, pardon? said great a lot of variety in the experience and i'm sure a lot of 
type different completely different types of lessons learned along the way there a hundred percent and and um you know it was just uh, bef- when i when i prepared for this podcast when i started thinking about how the environment um is different you know you being a founder you being a a product manager in in a startup that is established or product manager in a startup which is just starting so kind of around seed or pre-series a and then a company builder which is basically a startup factory you know um and it's definitely super interesting and for me now um who, who likes to focus on the beginning on building new products um yeah so many different aspects and, and experiences fantastic fantastic so um, nicholas through through the years of experience and the different industry exposure is there a process or an approach that you you follow <laughs> um i mean y- yes there is there is a process but it's not sequential or linear you know um it's not always the same it's first of all it's more a loop or or a bunch of loops um that you're going from uh from one to the other and back uh, depending on the the outcome and your learnings um but as much as it is a process it's it's a mindset i think it's a mindset um that that one needs as a product manager but also the whole team that's involved and stakeholders that are involved and you know? for you what what are, what are some of the aspects that really stand out to ensure that you're 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 performing highly yeah. with efficiency here yeah so um that's actually one of the first differences that i noticed comparing um the different environments to build a new product in so um i would say in, if you if you're working for a startup or if you're starting your own company um first of all you identify a customer problem that uh, that is worth solving um and that's your starting point and then you you work with design and engineering if if you have these resources to scope your your version 1 call it minimum viable product for example um that that allows you to make learnings about the hypothesis behind the the customer problem that you're solving um so th- these are kind of step 1 and 2 and obviously there are many many more uh, kind of uh methods and micro steps um belonging to these but then when you look at um a company builder uh such as finley then you you actually start one step earlier by defining opportunity areas um that you are researching in hoping to find to identify customer problems you know if that makes sense yeah anyway yeah so um but what once you've done this um that's kind of the scientific part that's uh, probably stressed a bit more in a in a company builder environment um and um yeah once your once your version 1 is is scoped out um you you want to launch first with a with a beta soft launch if possible um and and used learnings you're gathering to then coordinate very um yeah 
very importantly with your marketing and sales team for the full product launch um, to then get into this build, measure, learn loop after launching. You know, that's um, when, from my perspective, uh, the just the, it's the most fruitful part because then it starts to uh, build some momentum if it's successful or it doesn't and you go back and think about um, yeah, basically the, the version one that you build and you take your consequences from there. Nicholas, I'll bring, I'll bring the next question um, back a couple of steps. You mentioned around um, finding a, a custom problem that's, that's worth solving. Um, what are some of examples of how you've gone about finding a customer problem that's worth solving? Yeah. Um, so m- most recently at, at Finleap, uh, obviously there's a lot of research that's um, that's done. Um, and I mentioned um, the stealth venture that I led from a product perspective. Um, we spoke to so many customers, like we went into their um, businesses, you know, be it bakeries or jewelers or whatever it is, and just observed um, how they did their tasks, you know, their business-related tasks, their administration-related tasks. Because often these people are not trained businessmen, you know, they are they are strong in their crafts, um, but they are... Um, lacking um, efficiency when it comes to the digital administration of their business uh, to some extent. So we observed, we interviewed, we prototyped, um, and then again observed how they interacted with the prototypes and, yeah, just trying to build strong hypothesis on what is needed and how to segment such a big user group that uh, like, like small medium enterprises, because they have a lot of things in common, but also a lot of things that are different and, and unique to each specific segment within that industry. Can I ask um, for, for those that may be working for a founder who just wants to get started or um, they themselves just want to get stuck into building a product um, what does the conversation look like to ensure that that there's pushback and you do go into researching this problem deeper? How, how would a, a product manager have that conversation with a founder, for instance? With a founder? Mm. Where the founder wants the product manager to do research or? No, when they don't, when they want the product manager to, to just start building. <laughs> um, I mean... To be honest, um, you have to you have to be efficient, right, with your resources. So obviously, if there are resources um, to do a lot of research, um, make sure to convince the founder that this is the right thing. But if the founder, for example, has the domain knowledge and the expertise, you know. Um, it can also be be beneficial to trust the founder's vision, let's say, right. uh, to some extent. So that's it, it depends on the context. I mentioned before when I when I started my company, I I didn't know about product management processes and so on. You know, I studied marketing of innovations, but that was all 
around the old economy, you know, how Ford markets a new car, yeah, right. stuff like that. Um, so we, we did it because, and the way we did it was lean and agile because we uh, didn't have so much resources. So we had to think about everything twice, making sure that our hypotheses are correct. So we needed to talk to the bloggers, which we wanted to convince to get on our network, um, what product they wanted, because that was the only way we're going to be successful, you know? So, um, and that applies to your question, because if you, you as a product manager at the end, you are the advocate for the, for the user. You have to build that empathy. And if the founder can uh, provide the information for you to, to build that understanding for the user, then um, maybe stick with that. But if you feel like there's still information lacking and you still cannot feel the user, then um, you need to um, have a conversation with your founder and explain how you interpret the product manager role and how crucial it is. And there's a lot of uh, best practices and benchmarks out there that you can use to show that you need, in order to survive in a digital world, you need to um, develop human-centered products um, and that you need that information and data as a product manager to do so. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. You also mentioned about uh, version one of a product. How do you um, approach defining what version one is and what a beta or a soft launch um, scope may contain? Yeah, uh, interesting question. Um, it, it always, for me so far, it, it depends on um, the, the nature of the product, right? Um, so right now, I'm working on something um, that that's a product for a highly regulated market. Um, there, the requirements for version one are completely different um, than it is for a mass market B2C product, right? So for example, um, what we have done um, with the product I mentioned for small and medium enterprises, um, we have designed landing pages that um, describe our value proposition and um, just um, checked the, the interaction and the conversions on that landing page in the beginning. You know, then the nice thing about SMEs is that it is B2B, but um, it's quite consumerized B2B. Um, so we could use the, the existing uh, digital marketing channels such as Facebook and even Instagram and so on to get some traffic and just test the waters and see um, what works in terms of value proposition, but also if our copies are good, etc. cetera. Um, so for, for this, uh, this was almost um, the first version we did was just content. Right. It's cheap and it allows you to, to change super easily. Okay. And you're still using hypotheses to drive, drive that and drive whether that's successful or not? Yeah, yes. Yes. So um, 
what we've done is we um, have kind of a, a research question backlog of uh, things we know we don't know. Right. Um, and it, it kind of, if you imagine a Kanban board, um, it moves from there to uh, things we are researching um, and then things we've learned um, and so on. And you can, you can define that in many different ways. Um, and from the things we've learned, we can kind of conclude principles and hypotheses. Um, um, for example, again, I use the, the product and the small, medium enterprise uh, customers. Um, it was really hard. Once we, once from the research, we defined our value proposition, we spent a lot of time working on the uh, copies on the actual content, the text that we use on our sites. Um, because in the end, we found out it needs to be yeah, almost boring and very descriptive because these people are highly pragmatic um, and it's completely different um, to when you target like a SaaS company targeting digital startups as their, as their customers, you know, um, where the, the marketing uh, language that you use is completely different and finding that that messaging um, to reach them um, yeah took quite some time right okay i know you've got some experience with um, some tools and techniques like design sprints jobs to be done working backwards could you could you talk me through some experiences of how you've used those and how they've made a difference yeah yeah absolutely um so working backwards, for example, um, I think um, many know about the internal press release method that uh, Amazon uses, for example, when they're building a new product. Um, and we apply that also. Um, but actually, by chance, I have <laughs> I found a way that also works good for me. And, and, and instead of um, writing an internal or on top of writing an internal press release, uh, designing your launch landing page. Right. Um, and because how I, how I discovered this for me was we wanted to launch. Um, and we, we were kind of in the timeline trap, let's say. Um, we needed to deliver and we're working on the copies for the landing page and I just, I couldn't, um, let's say, accept them. I didn't believe in them. They were not strong enough. But we found out that it was less about the actual copies than it was more about the value proposition that we're trying to, to sell, that we're trying to market here. So in the process of, of designing the landing page and writing the copies, we identified that the, the product is still missing um, in the end two core features that we needed to include into our version one um, un until the landing page. And, and so the product is strong enough. So then we use this afterwards, this technique, um, yeah, as working backwards. So writing a landing page 
um, to see if the product is strong enough to be sold. You know, that's the intersection with marketing and sales that in this phase is so important. Nice, nice. And some of the others we mentioned there, design sprints and jobs to be done? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, design sprints is um, not just the classical five days design sprint uh, that you can apply when you have a certain challenge, let's say, um, but just the mindset that's behind the uh, design sprint. I mentioned before, you, you need to start the process with a customer problem and by understanding the customer problem, right? That's borrowed from the design sprint and design thinking mindset, obviously, which um, is almost part of every loop we take in the beginning of that process. And um, jobs to be done is similar. So right in the beginning, um, it's, it's super important for me to ask just why, 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 until we've, yeah, discovered the root problem, the root cause of why something is inefficient, for example, or why somebody um, still uses pen and paper to do X, Y, Z, you know, and until you find out that for this, for this um, job, paper is still the gold standard. And replacing paper is very hard sometimes, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's it's really important to have this because you know um, the question is how I like to start um, my puzzles or how I like to start the puzzle. Um, and I like to start like most of the people, I suppose. Um, I like to begin with the corners, but in order to do so you first need to find the corners and if you're you know if you have puzzled before yes for an actual puzzle that's quite easy because they have a different shape but um that's the difference when you're building products you know maybe you have one yep. corner which is a vision you know like the world should be like this yep. you know that's how um personal banking should be and you have that vision, but you're still lacking some other corners. So that's a tricky part. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, could you talk to me a little bit around um, how you balance quantitative and qualitative data? How, how much time do you spend in each? How do you decide you've got enough data or you've not got enough data? Yeah. Um, I would say that um, the actual decisions that I make are at the end of more so based on qualitative data than quantitative data. Um, quantitative data gives me the impulses to research something, right? Um, like I have a car and, you know, it goes 120 miles an hour, but all of a sudden it only goes 100 miles an hour. So, okay, I know that my car is not as fast as it used to be, but I don't know why. What's the problem? Uh, is it the gears? Is it the engine? Is there enough fuel in the, in the tank? Um, obviously, yes. In, in, in that metaphor, um, the car also has the, the hard data to tell me what it is often. But when we talk about people, 
um, using your product, um, often you only get to the root cause of why a KPI is changing, why raw data, quantitative data is changing if you talk to them and understand them. Um, so that's um, how I like to, to use both. Obviously, it's easier to convince stakeholders with quantitative data than it is with qualitative data. So if you have an hypothesis based on qualitative data, try and find the numbers mm. that can underline that. Or at least if you if you want to run an experiment, for example, an A-B test, an A-B testing is uh, a present from, from heaven when it comes to that, um, that you can quite, with, without many resources, uh, validate with numbers if your uh, hypothesis that's built on qualitative research is right or wrong. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing your learnings and experiences uh, in this episode, Nicholas. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Yeah. Thanks uh, for the opportunity. Uh, I love to, to build new products and I, I like to talk about the process because, um, I mean, it's it was the topic of the, the previous episode, right? Product management, uh, science or art. And yes. um, I think, yeah, that applies for this also. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we've touched on both sides of it there during the processes and the approaches you're using. Some of it is art and um, some of it is using science and uh, you can't, can't pick one or the other. No, no. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Nicholas. I really enjoyed the episode. Uh, I hope for everyone listening in or watching on YouTube that you've also enjoyed the episode as well. If you have, please remember that this recording and all the recordings on the European Tour are dedicated to raising awareness and funds for the bushfire-affected communities of Australia. And you can choose a cause to support over at bushfire.productcoalition.com. Until the next episode, thank you very much. Thanks again, Nicholas. Yeah, thank you too. Goodbye.